Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in football. We have ins, potentially, at Manchester United, outs, potentially, at Chelsea and Spurs, as well as news on takeovers in the Premier League, and the mystery into Liverpool's transfer policy that's being somehow unravelled in some style. I mean, the guy with me as always is Duncan Castles. Duncan, I want to start with Manchester United, uh, a very disappointing home defeat to Crystal Palace in their first game in the new Premier League season last weekend. Obviously, we have been keeping our listeners up to date with regards to the latest news on recruits and, of course, the Jadon Sancho saga. But you, Duncan, have been investigating the potential at United for a a different option with regards to Sancho, given the lack of progress that has been made in this window in terms of his signing. And that concerns one very, very interesting and slightly left field, if I'm allowed to say that, player at Barcelona. Yeah, this is Usman Dembele. I, regular listeners will know that we mentioned that Manchester United had made contact with Barcelona um, to assess the possibility of taking Dembele this summer um, quite some time ago. Um, and that had pretty much gone dead. But what I'm told is in recent weeks, the calls have gone in from not uh, subsidiary people in the Manchester United recruitment team, but from the very head of Manchester United's um, executive. So Ed Woodward, I'm told, has been calling Barcelona on more than one occasion to discuss the possibility of taking Dembele on a loan deal. Now, everyone in football knows that Barcelona have serious financial problems. Um, figure that was put on it for me um, in a conversation I had yesterday was that they need to get a roughly 30% of their wage bill uh, removed before the end of the transfer deadline. Um, we know the turmoil at the club. We know the change of coaches. We know their situation with Messi trying to leave, a story we broke on the podcast. Bartomeu's decision to keep him in place. Um, we told you at the time that there were people inside Barcelona who thought it was a bad idea because by moving Messi, by allowing him to go to Manchester City, they would solve the majority of their financial problems and, and be able to focus on restructure. As it is, they have to shift players out. Um, other clubs are looking at the quality players and thinking we can get these guys at reasonable prices. Um, there's an opportunity here. Manchester United need a right winger. Um, the priority has always been Jadon Sancho. Uh, as you've told us, Ian, they're confident that they can get that deal um, across the line, but the time is running out to actually do so. Dembele could play that position. and In many ways, Dembele is very similar to Jadon Sancho. He's fast, he's unpredictable, does things that, that catch defenders out. He was, before he moved to Barcelona, very effective. Um, he has had a disastrous time there. I think you can say, um, I think we've had Graham Hunter talking about his admiration for Dembele. 
on numerous occasions on this podcast, talking about the quality of player that's in there, if he could be focused on playing, if he could sort out his lifestyle issues and if his injury issues, which have restricted him to, I think, 35 La Liga starts in total in his three years at the club could be resolved. So I think what you see is Manchester United looking at Barcelona's situation, proposing a loan deal because they can take then Dembele's wages, which are a basic um, 6 million euros net per season with substantial uh, bonuses included off the wage bill and uh, and give them some room elsewhere. I'm, I'm told the conversations have only been about a loan. Barcelona's stance is the player is not available on loan. They are prepared to sell him. Um, they would also be prepared to do a deal in which the, that transfer was essentially delayed for a year with an obligatory purchase option at the end of the first season and, and kind of the way that uh, Tottenham took Giovanni Lo Celso um, from Spain last season. But they're asking at present 100 million euros as a transfer fee, which is just 5 million euros less than the guaranteed sum they bought Dembele from Dortmund, ironically enough, um, three years ago. And Manchester United have so far shown no indication that they're prepared to do the deal in that fashion. This clearly depends on what happens with Jadon Sancho. I think it clearly depends on a number of factors in the last couple of weeks of the window, what Barcelona can do elsewhere, to what degree they're prepared to compromise if they get to the wall um, and they have not cleared enough of their wage bill and then have to say, okay, um, we will loan a player like Dembele to sort problems out. And I think there are a lot of predator clubs waiting there. Um, but it does, I think, tell us that the confidence that Manchester United have been expressing in the deal they have in place for Sancho, personal terms agreed, agents fees agreed, there is an element of doubt there. Otherwise, why um, talk to Barcelona about Dembele? Unless, of course, they intend to do both, which would be a radical change from everything that's been indicated uh, to us and by the club through this period. You know, Remember, this is a club that keeps saying they have to be careful with their spending this summer because of the COVID's effects on their um, finances. They do intend to support Solskjaer. They do intend to invest in good young players. But um, to take them belly and Jaden Sancho, um, while you could play both in the same team, with the attackers they already have at United would really be a, a very significant statement. I would tend to play if I may, um, devil's advocate on this one, Duncan. Um, I think that Usman Dembele is indeed, as Graham Hunter has told us many times, a fantastic player, but his injury record, uh, he definitely has lifestyle issues, let's call them that, uh, which has affected both his performances, uh, it's affected uh, his disciplinary record, in terms of uh, his training regime and indeed, therefore, his rehabilitation from various uh, injuries that he has sustained um, during his time at Camp Nou. Um, Sancho, however, uh, by contrast, uh, has very few issues on both those uh, terms of injury or discipline. 
Yes, he has been late for training a couple of times in the last two seasons. Yes, he's wound the Dortmund hierarchy up a little bit with regards to the way that uh, he conducts himself. But generally speaking, um, he has been uh, a very uh, good professional. And that's why they value him so highly. Uh, I just wonder if Manchester United's interest in Dembele is partly, and I just say partly, um, a method of making Dortmund worried that that they might go somewhere else unless Dortmund softened their stance in terms of the payment details on the deal that they believe they've agreed uh, for Sancho. And also, I wonder um, if this is something whereby uh, United are not really willing to take that risk uh, on Dembele, but are certainly willing to invest um, their time in effectively trying to scare Dortmund into agreeing that deal. Now, my information from Manchester United is that the club itself is still very comfortable with their position with regards to the potential recruitment of Sancho. Um, it's certainly the case, as you have reported, that they have contacted Barcelona regarding a potential loan for Usman Dembele as well. And look, we both know from our years working in football that this could go either way. So it's not surprising to get into having to look for, for options. What I'd say has been interesting in the last 48 hours, Duncan, is um, I'm told that there was an unscheduled, and by that I think you can read emergency recruitment meeting at United's Carrington Training Ground on Monday of this week, uh, which included Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Matt Judge and Edward Wood to discuss what happens now. Uh, and this, of course, on the back of that very, very poor performance against Crystal Palace at Old Trafford in which they lost 3-1. And that things have to be done quickly. They have to be done in a, the right way in, in terms of strengthening the squad. It wasn't just the attacking options which were discussed. It was left back. It was a centre-back as well. Um, Duncan, you told us last week on the podcast that Alex Tellez uh, was on the radar in terms of being a left-back option. I understand that, that that deal was discussed and that there could be movement on that in the next three to four days, as well as for centre-back as well. So I think what we're looking at now is, um, I'm not going to say it's a knee-jerk reaction, Duncan, but even, I say even, ex-players, ex-colleagues of Solskjaer, as usual, have rallied round in the last 24 hours and said he's not being treated properly, he's not getting the signings he needs or wants, and the club needs to spend in response to what's going on at Manchester City, at Liverpool, at Chelsea, and in order to compete properly, Solskjaer needs to have players in and as soon as possible. Yeah, I've seen an argument that Solskjaer needs to get at least one more signing 
to be able to progress on last season. I think that's ridiculous. Um, last season, they scraped into the Champions League with 66 points, um, a record number of penalties. They have added Bruno Fernandes for a full season, so they only they only had half a season of last season, so Bruno Fernandes for a full season should improve Manchester United's performance for this season. They've added Donny van de Beek, which was an intelligent signing, um, which should also improve Manchester United for this season. They should get better anyway because it's the, the third season in which Solskjaer's in charge. He's, he's had plenty of time to um, get the players used to his methods and improve the culture and the attitude around the club, things that he makes great play of and change the playing style. So there should be progress this season, regardless of what they do in the rest of the transfer market. To, to stay up with the teams at the top, yes, more is needed. Um, but you can't argue with that, that um, the squad they have is going to be very difficult to uh, overhaul Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, what you can say is there's a huge amount of pressure on the club, there's a huge amount of pressure on the Glazers, there's a huge amount of pressure on Ed Woodward at present. They have made some very big and bad mistakes in the last week and from a, a perception, a media point of view. You have Solskjaer going into that match against Crystal Palace saying essentially that his target for the season was to finish third. He said the two teams in front of us have been way in front of the rest. It's a chasing pack, but we want to be top of that chasing pack. Now that's incredibly ill-advised for a Manchester United manager before a season even starts to say essentially he is aiming for third place. Regardless of the reality of the situation, regardless of whether as a football professional, he thinks it's impossible to overhaul City and Liverpool. You can't enter a season as manager of Manchester United saying your target is third place. You have to at least um, play the game and, and pretend that you're attempting to overhaul those teams. They had a briefing um, that the club was unhappy with social media commentary about their transfer activity from supporters and that, that negativity was potentially having a damaging effect on their season. I think that's an incredibly naive statement for any employee of a club of Manchester United's uh, stature to make. It wasn't on record, but it was an off-record briefing. Um, someone who's paid uh, with the supporters' money. Um, Manchester United are a club who probably put more emphasis on social media than just about any in European football. They're certainly the only club that I'm aware of that go into investors' meetings uh, with um, American hedge fund investment companies and brag about um, the fact that uh, the signing of Odeon Igalo was the top trend worldwide on Twitter um, last January after they did that deal, um, who talk about how uh, transfer speculation is good for the brand because it draws traffic to um, their club, who makes signings having investigated the social media profile of players. And, you know, Paul Pogba's arrival at Manchester United was definitely, and the wages they paid him was definitely affected by his social media presence. You'll remember the way they dragged that deal out. Um, the actual announcement of that deal well beyond the point at which it had been agreed with Juventus and the player. Obviously, 
um, to maximize social media impact. They talk about their numbers on social media all the time. You can't then go and complain that the supporters are unhappy um, with what you're doing in the transfer market and that it's somehow unfair and and it and it's damaging the team. If you live by social media, then you have to take the the hits by social media. Um, that defeat, I think, triggered one of their most popular former players, Patrice Evra, to do a long um, video interview of him, of himself um, on Instagram, in which he picked out individuals at the club, um, named them by name. Uh, talked about Matthew Judge, said that he had um, a, a director, a football director of a top club calling him and saying, Patrice, can you ask please to a certain Matt Judge to answer his phone? Um, talking about the mistakes Manchester United make in trying to recruit players, uh, saying that we, because he still talks about Manchester United as we, because he has such a, an affection for the club, um, we send lawyers to talk with players we want to buy. So when you send lawyers, they talk about numbers. They're not people from the football world. And contrasting what happened when he moved to Manchester United, how Ferguson and David Gill went to, to talk to him direct and to find out how he was as an individual before they made the ultimate decision to sign him and to talk about the way other clubs use significant football people at their club to convince um, deals to happen. And, you know, he's very scathing of a lot of elements of the way Manchester United work. A lot of things we've discussed in the podcast for a long time, but it's, you know, it's good to see someone who was actually talked to by Manchester United uh, as a potential, not necessarily director of football, but as an individual to get involved in the transfer process and, and someone who Edward would trust and, and will call to get in, involved in in uh, in these matters and and uh, and use for advice on these matters, and then of course they have the result against Crystal Palace, and I think while the result was worse than it should have been um, for a change, United had refereeing and VAR decisions go against them. They suffered because of the ludicrous handball law in terms of the the penalty that. Uh, Crystal Palace scored their second goal from, and they suffered in terms of the, the the implementation of the VAR rule about players coming off their goal line, goalkeepers coming off the goal line at penalties. And from the image I saw, I'm not convinced David De Gea was actually off the line by the the, the definition, which is as long as you have part of your boot over the line as not actually touching it, you should be... Uh, allowed to make the save, um, but United were penalised for that. And again, I don't know if the technology is there to do it, and I think the rule's poor, but what you can say is that performance was ex absolutely substandard um, and you know, not entirely surprising given the problems we've, we've noted with Solskjaer's management um, throughout his time there. And whenever United seem to think they're on a good run and have their problems solved under him. Games like Crystal Palace come along on a regular basis. Seems to me, Duncan, and again, this is something that, you know, we have flagged up. If you don't have people who represent the club, who are football people, and by that I mean former players or coaches or whatever, who go out and meet your transfer targets, and wow them 
with their experience of the club, <clears throat> of what it's like to play for Manchester United or be in the Manchester United setup, you are going to struggle to convince lawyers, accountants, etc. Quite frankly, they just don't have the influence uh, that is required to convince elite level players that Old Trafford's place where you want to be. So they are definitely, and Patrice Evra articulated that very well, I think, um, on his Instagram account. And that is that you need to have the right people representing the club and representing the transfers uh, in terms of persuading the right players to come. So, and we, we see it on social media. We see it on our timelines at Transfer Window and on our personal Twitter accounts. Man United fans complaining uh, to us saying, uh, why is it we always drag our heels? Why are we behind everyone else? Why is no one joining us when they're joining other clubs, etc.? And that's one of the reasons. It's as simple as that. They've lost their luster, um, not just through lack of trophies, but through lack of personalities uh, who are there and willing to persuade um, potential uh, recruitments to come to the club. And we'll move on to Liverpool now, Duncan, as an example of Jurgen Klopp, who is absolutely willing to uh, get on the phone and talk to players, persuade them to come. He did it with Thiago Alcantara. He's done it uh, also, obviously, with the recruitment of Diego Jota as well over the last three days. And Liverpool, a team who allegedly were happy with their squad and didn't need to recruit anyone, seems to me like when they lost Timo Werner to Chelsea, there was like a big klaxon call. It was like, hello, we're falling behind here. We have to start making signings because if we don't, then we're going to get left behind. Yeah, I, I think Liverpool have taken action. Yeah, I think you're right to highlight the fact Jurgen Klopp gets involved in these deals and he wants to be actively involved in these deals. He wants to speak to the players himself to find out if they're the right individuals to come and work in his system. But he's also prepared to go and convince them. I'm not saying Solskjaer doesn't do that because Solskjaer has taken steps um, to try and involve himself and people he trusts more in recruitment. But the problem United have is they have a couple of bankers in charge of negotiations who then go to an American family who are interested in profit, who, who are above all else to make final decisions on whether they do deals. And the process is slow. For years, I have people telling me in football, Manchester United are incredibly slow in their transfer market dealings. Um, they, they make errors, they make mistakes, they drag things out, they lose players because of it. Um, I, because they have the wrong individuals, people who have no involvement in football before they um, they took their roles, senior roles at Manchester United, in charge of extremely important decisions about recruitment of players, um, negotiating deals, convincing individuals to come, and and changing managers and coming up with strategies and you know the, the famous cultural reboot, which. Uh, I doubt was ever devised as a strategy to fix things. Rather, it was a way to sell 
a, a, a method that they stumbled on by bringing Solskjaer in as an interim manager and seeing him have a, a successful run of results. Um, we told you uh, on the last podcast that Diogo Jota was unhappy at Wolves and looking for a move. The speed with which Liverpool acted upon Jota's discontent to bring in a proven quality in the Premier League, someone who has uh, demonstrated his effectiveness against the top teams in the division, who fits into their system in the way he plays, um, who will be content to initially work as a backup to the front three, but be able to give um, them rotation time and resting time and come off the bench and help them. Extremely impressive. Uh, £45 million guaranteed, £5 million in bonuses, and also taking Thiago from Bayern Munich, so uh, probably the best person in the Champions League final, someone Bayern did not want to lose, someone who looks like he will fit as easily as, as it's almost as it's possible to do into a Liverpool's complicated system and and improve their qualities and does kind of put um put an edge on what Klopp was moaning about uh, just I think two weeks ago, um, that his club wasn't run by oligarchs or nation states and that they couldn't afford to do aggressive things in the transfer market because they have gone and done two very aggressive things in the transfer market that should have immediate effects and have put a lot of pressure on on their um, big rival, uh, at least from a um, supporter rivalry point of view. I'm not sure that there's a big rival from the football point of view anymore, uh, Manchester United. At the same time, Duncan, um, in terms of the second-place club on in the Premier League last season, Manchester City, the spending is relatively similar in terms of the recruitment of Ferran Torres and Nathan Ake to Manchester City. Uh, so it's not like City have, have gone out and gone stellar in terms of their so recruitment far. policy. So far. So far, this yeah. Is okay. the club, this is the club that offered a 700 million contract to Lionel Messi and would have got him had he had the courage to take legal action against the... Barcelona to get out of the club and who are trying to sign a elite centre back and where you're talking, you know, fees upwards of 60, 70 million euros to secure him. So they're not finished yet. Very true. And we will not uh, prejudge Manchester City's transfer business, of course, with the window not closing until October the 5th. But I think it's interesting that Liverpool and more so FSG. Uh, the parent company who own Liverpool, have suddenly decided to act upon the success they have achieved in the last two seasons in winning the Champions League, the World Cup Championship and the Premier League. And now looked at themselves and thought, do you know what? If we want to continue, if we want to make this a legacy, a, uh, a dynasty of a winning team, then we do need to strengthen. We do need to keep up with our rivals in terms of the investment in the club. Chelsea, of course, are the ones who have invested more than any other club thus far. And you're right to say that City are not finished yet. We know that they'll definitely buy a centre-back and potentially elsewhere as well. But at the same time, it looks to me like kind of Klopp's got his way because in the last two uh, windows, in the summer windows, we should say, 
he didn't um he didn't seem that happy uh about the lack of business in the transfer market but i think he appears i think to have won over uh in terms of the argument the fsg board uh and of particularly the ones who obviously uh, are involved with um the football club and said look if you want me and you want this club to continue your success then you need to invest in my judgment and fair play it looks like he's done that he lost his first choice forward um obviously Jogo Jota wasn't the option Klopp preferred and his first choice forward went to Chelsea instead um Thiago from Bayern is uh, very impressive and kind of contrary to everything FSG have done during this period in which they've overhauled Liverpool and that they're taking a player entering his 30s um, at very high wages, um, albeit not for a particularly high transfer fee because he only had a year of contract left at Bayern. But this is, you know, ready-made, put him straight in the team. This is the man Klopp wants to fit in. So, yes you can see that Klopp's pressure on the club has resulted in a response. Um, they've been quite clever from a financial point of view in the way that they they structured um, the Jota uh, transfer. So $45 million, um, over five years. Um, the first year will have less than, slightly less than $10 million. Um, put on their accounts and they sell uh, key Jana Hoover to Wolves uh, at the same time as they take um, Jota from Wolves for around £10 which obviously wipes out the initial payment on the Jota deal so from their uh, from a financial fair play perspective and accounting perspective for this season the removal of a relatively unimportant reserve makes the balance sheet look better so that they're still conscious of how they could structure deals but done it in a clever fashion and here at the transfer window podcast we understand that liverpool's disposal policy and by that i mean transfers out is far from over as well they are looking to uh, get rid of Ryan brewster the striker potentially uh on loan but more uh, from their point of view, they would prefer a permanent transfer. Now, so far, Duncan, the, the season in terms of this particular window has belonged uh, to Frank Lampard and Chelsea uh, in terms of money spent. Uh, of course, we have kept our listeners up to date with the Edward Mendy saga in terms of his transfer from Wren and, of course, the influential um, Petr Cech with regards to that particular deal. We expect that to be confirmed in the next 48 hours. What's, I think, more interesting is that the spending does not look to be over just yet. And also that um, N'Golo Conte, uh, the France World Cup winner, and someone who has been instrumental in Chelsea's defensive and central midfield area, is absolutely on the market. Um, We understand that there is uh, a loan offer for him to go to Inter Milan. Chelsea would prefer to sell. The 29-year-old earns 
up around £180,000 per week. Now, the reason that Chelsea would prefer to sell, and it's partly because of FFP, but also because it would been balancing the books generally in a window where they've already committed around £222 million, um, and they want to make a bid for Declan Rice at West Ham, uh, who would, in Frank Lampard's view, become the central pin in a three-man defensive lineup. Mm-hmm. Now, we saw Duncan against Liverpool. The Chelsea defence struggle yet again. Um, they were uh, not necessarily um, outplayed for most of the game, um, but the 2-0 was certainly well worth uh, in terms of Liverpool's uh, performance, it was it kind of played out that way. Kepa Aritha Balaga made another horrific error, but of course, you can mendy that. Please pardon the pun uh, when he comes in. But uh, selling Conte, or at least getting him off the wage bill, would allow Lampard some scope and some wriggle room on wages with regards to bringing in Declan Rice. We also now have the um, issue of Rudiger. Once, uh, certainly last season, was Lampard's first choice at centre-back, although it's our understanding that perhaps has been a, let's just say, a difference of opinion regarding how Chelsea set up defensively between the head coach and the Germany international. He was not included in the squad to play Liverpool on Sunday afternoon. And instead... Andrews Christensen played and was summarily sent off for a fairly foolish challenge uh, on Sadio Mane, uh, in, which led to a free kick and his red card. Duncan, Chelsea obviously want to make a big impression this season. We know that Roman Abramovich has changed his tactic in terms of investment. He has you know, happily provided the cash needed for these deals. Um, does it mean that Lampard has to get it right in terms of the signings he makes? Has he done the right thing so far? And I suppose my main question is, can you see it getting better? Because the game against Liverpool was fairly ordinary and they kind of did not perform well at all. Well, these aren't Frank Lampard signings. This is a you. <laughs> <laughs> the players are bought by Marina Granovskaya, and Lampard has an input, but there's been significant conflict between them, um, running back to the January window where both sides wanted to do things in that window, and the, and they ended up doing nothing because. Grand scale wanted attacking players and, and Lampard wanted defensive players. Um, he has got heavy investment. They have got heavy investment. They've added a lot of quality to the team. But where they haven't added sufficient quality is in the areas he highlighted as being the biggest problems. And it's obvious that defence was a problem for Chelsea. Just look at the statistics from last season. Um, you look at that first game. You have a centre-back getting himself sent off and putting the team down to 10 men against uh, the champions. And you have the goalkeeper making a ridiculous error, which um, which leads to a goal. So the, the 
that the shortcomings were highlighted by that match. I don't think it helped that Rudiger was dropped because of that training ground um, dispute. So Lampard effectively had to handicap himself um, by making an example of Rudiger and playing Christensen himself. But I think also there were some serious tactical errors in that match because Chelsea tried to play everything from the back. They tried to play everything short, which allowed Liverpool to sit on top of him. At times, they were just sitting on the edge of Liverpool, of Chelsea's 18-yard box, waiting for a mistake to happen, uh, pressing the Chelsea team, being able to compress their team uh, midfield and defence high up the field because all Chelsea were doing for the majority of that half was trying to hit short passes from the back. If you try and do that against a team of Liverpool's pressing qualities with mediocre players when it comes to passing the ball, which I think Christensen is, um, Kurt Zuma for all his qualities is also not the most comfortable with the ball at his feet, Kepa lacking confidence, then the outcome's pretty likely to be you'll make a mistake first and the opposition will take advantage of it. Um, I think that there was a naivety of approach there with those personnel and that if you there's no problem with trying to pass the ball from the back but if you're going to pass the ball from the back you have to vary against a team like Liverpool and hit some longer balls in amongst those short passes just to push the defensive lines deeper in the field and to give yourself more space to play into in midfield so you ask what the outcome will be if it doesn't work. Well, we know what the outcome is at Chelsea when it doesn't work. Um, the managers always go. And, and I think Frank Lampard will be very aware of that too, which will add to the incentive to him to get that improvement in central defence that he's looking for in the shape of Declan Rice in the last couple of weeks. Interesting you say that, Duncan. I was speaking to a Premier League coach just last night about um, Liverpool's high press and how that works and how you play against it. And he said to me, um, well, you can understand that those Chelsea players have been coached to play out from the back. Um, so my question to him was, but surely you can mix it up. And when you're in danger of losing possession or seeding uh, some kind of goal opportunity to the opposition, you just play it long. You just get rid of the ball. And his response was, yeah, unfortunately, players are not quite necessarily equipped to deal with two different options. So if you're drilling it into them, where they have to play it out from the back and they have to keep possession and, and save the ball, telling them that there is an option to then play it long and, and get rid of the ball and then obviously fight for retake of possession in the middle third is not necessarily going to get through to them because they will get confused. And I find that to be quite interesting in terms of, you know, what Chelsea were doing against Liverpool because clearly there were opportunities, specifically, obviously, the second goal, where Kepa tried to play it out to one of his midfielders. I think it was Jorginho was his target. Instead, uh, ends up being intercepted by Mane and conceding a goal. But he seemed to think that, well, you can tell players they've got the option, but it doesn't mean so they're going to take it. Well, 
it doesn't just have to be getting rid of the ball in difficult circumstances. Chelsea have signed one of the fastest players in European football in Timo Werner. And if you've got a very fast forward playing against a, a team that wants to push its defensive line up, there's an opportunity there. Um, and generally, teams who try and exploit these opportunities, they'll pick one or two players in their defensive line or in their midfield who are capable of hitting cross-field or, or distance passes with accuracy. And they'll focus on setting those players up to play the ball. So you see Tottenham, Toby Alderweireld is, is often given that role of finding the forwards um, and mixing up the play by hitting those precise passes to the forwards. I think, um, for example, Rhys James should have the qualities to play that kind of ball at Chelsea because he is a very skillful fullback who they're prepared to hand free kick duties to. So if you're only training to play short passes, you're making it very predictable for the opposition. That's all I'll say. And if, if it requires training to um, get into players' heads that they have multiple options, then switch the training system so they, they are taking different options and different ways of playing while training so you have the flexibility to play different systems against different opponents um, and win more games. And also, I think, makes the case very strongly as to why Lampard wants Declan Rice, who is currently playing as a defensive central midfielder who has a range of passing and an ability and confidence about himself to hit the 40, 50 metre pass um, and knows when to do it as well. Uh, but as I said, the confidence is probably the key. Whereas what we saw was panic in the Chelsea defence when it came to being pressed down by Salah, Firmino and Mane um, at Stamford Bridge against Liverpool, uh, which obviously resulted in fairly uh, catastrophic errors and goals as well. Duncan, I want to talk about Tottenham. Um, lots been going on. Obviously, we were right all over the um, Gareth Bale and Sergio Rugillon uh, transfers. We're now getting to the point where um, we've got to ask questions about Delhi Ali, who um, was left out of the squad, which comprehensively beat Southampton uh, at the weekend uh, with incredible performances from uh, Sun Hoi-min as well as Harry Kane in terms of assists. Uh, Ali appears to have exhausted Josie Mourinho's patience in terms of his attitude, in terms of his lack of consistency in performance. Um, I think we saw uh, partly in the Amazon documentary All or Nothing, Mourinho doing his best to um, try to uh, encourage and to try and just basically get Ali back to his best, where he doesn't seem to me to have been for two years now. Um, is there information that Inter Milan have made a concrete offer to take Delhi on loan for the, this season. That would include a loan fee of around €6 million, euros, as well as Inter paying his wages. 
It's also understanding the player is not keen uh, to leave England. However, um, in terms of both his career club, but as well as his career international, which is, it's fair to say, um, definitely gone downhill uh, in the last few months as well. Um, and with Euro 2020 being restaged next summer on the horizon, needs to do something radical in order to get himself back on track. But Duncan, you reported this uh, last week and the week before. You talked about what Mourinho was um, thinking regarding the balance of his squad. Uh, he's since been given a left-back and a left-winger. You pointed out in the podcast that he wanted a centre-back and a centre-forward. And Mourinho <laughs> has confirmed that, uh, what you have um, reported by talking about there are pieces in a puzzle uh, in which you need to complete. And I'm not sure that we have completed the puzzle. So what's your interpretation of what Mourinho uh, is thinking? And do you think there is more to come from Tottenham in this window? Yeah, I think if you listen to our previous podcast, we discussed that these were Daniel Levy deals and that they didn't rebalance the squad, which is what Mourinho had been trying to do in this window. And, you know, first press conference he does when he's um, asked about Gareth Bale and Regulon after they've been signed, he says, if you ask me if I'm happy to have these two players, I have to say, yes, I am. But there are other things that make a team and make a squad. Um, so, as we said in the podcast, he likes both of those players, but they would not have been his priorities if he had been left in charge of recruitment um, this summer, which is going to be crucial to how Tottenham perform and how his career is judged at Tottenham. Um, Delhi Alley is an issue, because partly because of that unbalanced squad. And in signing Gareth Bale, you sign another player who plays in a similar area of the field to Delhi, um, an area of the of the field in terms of attacking midfielders um, where Tottenham are already well stocked. Um, and that's why Delhi was offered to Real Madrid as part of the deal. And the reason Real Madrid rejected it, well, partly financial reasons, but also because Delhi's career has gone um, downhill for those last two years. And it's not just Mourinho who has been um, struggling with him. It was Maurizio Pochettino who was struggling with him before, which tells you it's something uh, about the player, whether it's a physical issue. And I've seen discussion that um, he has put on too much muscle in response to muscular injuries and doesn't have the same agility and lightness around the field as he had previously. Um, Certainly, there are concerns within the, the Tottenham dressing room about his attitude um, and about the, the level of his performance on the field and that um, he's not as good a player fundamentally as his reputation uh, made him out to be. So I think were the right proposal to be put to Tottenham in the last couple of weeks of this window, then you would see Delhi moving out and you see Delhi having that opportunity to demonstrate that he is still a top player at another club. Um, but yeah, also there are other problems to solve in the squad 
as you say, Mourinho wants a centre-back. He wants a striker um, who can deputise for Harry Kane as necessary. Um, I believe there's an interest in Bastos at Eintracht Frankfurt, um, but I'm not sure whether that is going to happen because there is a question mark over whether Levy will um, liberate further resource to take extra players in other positions when he's done the bail deal, he's done the regular deal, he's got very good uh, publicity from it. Tottenham supporters are happy and the actual um, overall cost of those deals fits with Tottenham's financial difficulties and that bail is a loan with wages subsidised, substantial wages, but wages subsidised by Real Madrid. And Regulon is effectively a two-year loan where if Real Madrid handle it as they expect to handle it and bring him back after two years um, for the buyback clause, uh, Tottenham will get a 10 to 15 million euro profit on the transfer fee, which will cover the wages. Duncan, you and I have both been... um following and, of course, involved in terms of our jobs in Jose's career uh, for the last 17 years, basically, since he uh, left Porto to come to Chelsea. We've seen him backed into corners in the past. We've seen him uh, find difficulties with administrators at clubs with regards to um, getting the things that he wants and recruitment is something which he obviously, as every coach does, values very highly with regards to what his input is. Now, given that Reguillon and Bale were not his preferred signings, can there be a some kind of uh, truce um, should he not get the other players, as you said, in positions like centre-back and centre-forward between him and Levy that will sustain this season? I think he's trying to avoid conflict. Um, and No! Choose he avoiding conflict! <laughs> because he knows what's happened when he's provoked conflict in, in recent clubs. Um, and it, you, know, you have to say it hasn't, uh, hasn't ended well for him. So there was a, la- a long period of reflection when he was out of work. You've seen him talking about how much it hurt him not being in the game. I mean, there's images of him being interviewed and almost being in tears, um, talking about how much he missed football. Um, his reputation is very important to him. Um, the criticism from external uh, other people in football and from the media affects him. He wants to be able to shove that back down the throats of the people who have been criticising him. Um, if this season ends in failure at Tottenham, um, then <laughs> that is clearly something he wants to avoid. And, and, I, and from what I can gather, he does not tr- think that picking a fight with Daniel Levy at present to force those transfers is going to be the productive way of getting them. Let's see what happens. I think I think the the result against Southampton is obviously um, major help for him um, to get that 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 degree 
of win and that convincing uh, a second half performance from the team. Um, it buys time and uh, and it and it mentally and from a morale point of view, it's good for the squad. Um, we'll see if the the COVID Cup match against Orient goes ahead tonight. That's a story in itself that uh, the EFL have dumped COVID testing for um, uh, for the rest of the season, at least at, at present. And Tottenham Hotspur pay for Leighton Orient to have COVID tests ahead of the cup tie because they're concerned that um, they might be putting their players at risk. And, and they find that, um, according to some reports, the majority of, of Orient squad test positive for COVID. Um, so, which could turn out for for as a positive for Tottenham if the game is not played and uh, Orient sacrifice the match because it will give them more recovery time, preparation time for the, the very tight schedule Tottenham have with um, League Cup, Premier League and Europa League ties to play over the next few weeks. Jose, call me Kofi Annan Mourinho. A <laughs> sentence you never thought you'd hear. Speaking of Southampton, Duncan, uh, you have news for us on a potential takeover. We have reported on the podcast over the last few months that the effect of the COVID pandemic uh, is potentially and indeed realistically uh, going to have a very, very negative effect on football finances, even at the elite level in the Premier League, and that Southampton indeed were seeking loans just to keep themselves going. Uh, but you seem to um, have information for us regarding another potentially failed takeover bid for the club. Um, I'm not sure potentially failed. It's it's progressed to the stage, I'm told, where the Premier League are now looking at um, the financial plans and obviously doing their assessment of whether the uh, owners and directors uh, pass the rules, um, <laughs> a subject which is of great relevance after what happened with Newcastle United and, and Saudi Arabia. Um, we reported on the podcast months ago that Southampton had been made available for sale by their Chinese ownership and we also reported that they had significant cash flow issues through the summer which had to, to be solved um, by refinancing and taking out new loans. I'm told that this bid, which is led by Joseph de Grossa, um, is complicated. The financing of it is complicated, so there, it, it isn't guaranteed that the Premier League will approve it. But if they can get it through, then um, it could give the opportunity for Southampton to, to take more action in the uh, remaining days of the transfer window. And I'm told there's an interest in taking uh, Florentino, the defensive midfielder at Benfica that we mentioned, as having been made available for sale by Benfica after they missed out on Champions League football um, as um, one of those buys before uh, the window closes. The, the Grossa group is interesting in that they they want to emulate, they think they can emulate the Manchester City um, City football group model of buying clubs in multiple territories and uh, taking advantage of the benefits of combining technical skills and shifting players between those clubs, uh, marketing synergies between the clubs 
Um, I think the cross is on on record as talking about it. Whether it's so easy to do when your financing is coming from private individuals, and I think in their case it comes from a consortium of individuals, as opposed to when it's a nation state bankrolling a project and that project having been designed not simply um, to benefit from switching players between clubs and to to create economic um, benefits of scale, but also to bypass financial fair play rules um, by shifting uh, players around at times that suit uh, one of your uh, your principal clubs in that network. Whether whether it's it's such a sensible strategy that it can be easily transferred to a, a club like Southampton, we will see should that takeover be approved. Well, that has been all of the news before it becomes news on the first Transfer Window podcast of this week. We will end, of course, with the hero and villain segment, um, which I am very, very excited about personally because I have a vested interest in Duncan's villain. But I'm going to go first, Duncan, and give you my hero of the last few days. And I have no hesitation whatsoever in nominating Sun Hoi Min, Sonny, as he's commonly known to his teammates, for his four goals uh, against Southampton. The first one, Duncan, as I think you have told me, uh, was incredible in terms of Harry Kane overhit the pass to the right-hand side, forced him wide, but he still managed to slam it way past uh, the goalkeeper with some pace. But the other three were absolutely clinical finishes, um, effectively uh, killing the... Well, he did kill the game, obviously, but also uh, with the sheer precision of a surgeon going with his scalpel in terms of the way he placed it into the back of the net. Uh, A player I've got massive, massive admiration for and respect. And uh, let's face it... uh, He's already way ahead in the Golden Boot Award, and it's only one game in, uh, or two games, I should say. So well done, Sun Hoi-Min, for earning this week's Hero on the Transfer Window podcast. And Duncan, please regale us with the news of the villain, someone who never received a yellow card his entire career and is now about to get one. <laughs> well, I think he got a yellow card from some Manchester United fans after this on Twitter who, who seemed to connect his his comments about transfer market reporting to um, uh, his alleged relationship with Ed Woodward and and that story we mentioned earlier of Manchester United briefing that they were upset about social media complaints from their fans about lack of transfer activity. This is Gary Lineker who um, went on Twitter as he often does and and often to you know very good and very positive effect but in this case what he had to say was A fact, if you read rumours that your club are interested in signing a player and the purported transfer doesn't happen, it does not automatically mean that your club has failed in their attempt to sign said player. The vast majority of rumours are rubbish or complete guesswork. This isn't the first time I've seen Lineker complaining about transfer market reporting. Um, It's interesting that he, he seems to have a, you know, uh, an, an issue with it, given that it is something that he uses as part of his job at uh, the BBC, at BT Sport, 
as a very accomplished presenter of live football, often talks on those programs about transfer market rumors and inverted commas when it suits them. What I, f I find interesting is that Lineker has been the highest paid individual at the BBC, according to um, BBC's own reporting for the 2019-20 year, he was paid £1.75 million. Huge number of his audience are very interested in transfer stories in football. It's a, a fact, it's why this podcast exists. There is and there has been a growing interest in the transfer market from football audience for years. Lineker is in a position, given his years in the sport and his contacts, where he could probably um, be very well placed to report on the transfer market. He could call and find out if, if these rumours that he um, says the vast majority of are rubbish or complete guesswork are rubbish or complete guesswork. And if they're not, he could report, well, this one's true and, uh, and, and put it on his Twitter feed or put it on the BBC or put it on BT Sport. Um, so maybe there's a little challenge to Gary Lineker. Maybe um, he should try and do that for a couple of weeks and um, and show how easy it is or, or find out that it's it's maybe a slightly more complex process than he portrays it as in his um, Twitter commentary. Well said, Duncan. And I will just uh, remind any of our listeners who may not have seen it on our social media channels. I did challenge Lineker on this in the name of all of you who listen to the Transfer Window podcast because we know that you are interested in all of the news all of the time, uh, as we are. And Duncan and I have, between us, some half a century of experience <laughs> in this business of reporting and getting it right most of the time as well. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and we will happily and, of course, um, enthusiastically engage in any debate uh, about what you've heard um, and any other subjects that you want to talk about in football, uh, you can do so on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. Duncan's personal Twitter is at Duncan Castles. I'm on at Garble SJ. You can also uh, obviously listen to the podcast in all your normal podcast platforms, but also uh, if it pleases you, go to YouTube, search at Transfer Window Podcast, and you can do and access us there as well. Other than that, uh, if you have loved, and I'm sure you do, what you heard, please um, return the favour. You get this for free, guys. Why not? Uh, go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. The community expands. We get more questions, more debate, and of course, we all I get to be much more happy than we are right now. So um, until later this week, we'll bring you the next Transfer Window podcast. It just leaves me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.